Hi, it's Chris Watkin here, and I'm joined today by Ben Madden, who is an extremely well-known estate agent from West London. And he is here today to talk about his estate agency journey, the ups and downs of him being an agent. Ben, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Pleasure, pleasure. I want to ask you your story of estate agency, why you became an estate agency, the ups and the downs, the fears, the frustrations, the hopes and the dreams. Um, and I know you are just about to turn 39 years old, so again, after that, what you're going to do in the future. Is that okay? Absolutely. Right, okay. So, when did the shiny lights of estate agency shine their light on your... Um, or did you fall into it? Lights. Yeah, I fell into it like, like uh, the rest like of the us. majority. Yeah, okay. I um, was in hospitality, and uh, when I say hospitality, I worked behind a bar. You know, let's not dress it up too much. And as a young man, I progressed to managing a 600 capacity bar, and that was a lot of fun. There was a lot of selling whilst working behind a bar. Did you? Were you at university or college in any way? Or no, I um, I think education was. Um, I wasn't mature enough for education, so I'm quite big on um, self-development now. But I didn't take school seriously. I did okay at school and did okay at A-levels, but I decided it wasn't really a good fit for me. So um, I dropped out of my A-levels after year one. I was doing maths, history, economics and IT. Mm. Nothing enjoyable there. Well, that's not true. I loved maths. But uh, I think I was doing those for my parents, probably more for me. So after a year, I decided this is, this is not fun tried sports and it was one extreme to the other it was lots of fun but nothing challenging so thought I'll um I'll get a bar job why not and uh did that for a few years um fast forward that somehow led into why don't you try being a salesperson wasn't that into cars didn't want to sit in an office so estate agency right sell homes get out and about it's fun isn't it so that's how I landed there how did your parents feel that you jacked your a-levels in uh, I think I was uh, quite lucky, uh, quite supportive, disappointed. They were intense up until I finished my GCSEs. So um, I can remember uh, food technology, for instance, not going according to plan and getting a, a good ear bashing that, you know, why are you not doing someone in that area? So they were quite full on up until I was 16. And then after 16, we seemed to relax a bit. And when I said um, that the A-levels are not really working out, I'm not enjoying them, what I'm meant to be achieving, I'm not going to achieve. They were reasonably supportive. Um, I wasn't a, uh, I wasn't the kid that was misbehaving. I wasn't doing things wrong. I just wasn't that engaged. I wasn't that passionate about it. But is any 16, 17 year old engaged about their A-levels? Um, I think the academic kids are. You know, in every walk of life, whatever you're doing, there, there could be a level of engagement, a level of passion. Um, that drives your, I don't know, in my view, I, I mean, <laughs> jump right into a state agency. The people that are really good at state agency, they care about what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So they train hard, they work hard, they care about what they're delivering. And I think I can look back and think of a 17-year-old, yeah, some of the kids sitting around me, they liked what they were doing. Were you an only child or did you have any? No, younger sister. Okay. Um, not particularly close, although fast forward uh, to Thorgill's, she came to work with me and was with me for seven years. Um, but yeah, quite a small family, really. Okay. And what did you learn from both your mother and father growing up that's helped you now? Um, so my dad was a scaffolder. Mum worked at a school. Um, scaffolders don't get um, 
So you're sort of protecting yourself employed. You you graft, you work. If you don't go to work, you don't get paid. So resilience, hard work, work ethic, whatever terminology you want to use. Um, they're quite tough. They're a bit old school, which is sort of rubbed off on me, I guess, a little bit. Um, but I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I like the idea of working hard to, to get what you hoped out of any situation. So, yeah, I've learned to be resilient from them, be tough. Um, what about your mum? Same, yeah, she's a tough woman. Uh, her parents... So, obviously, I wasn't around back then, but her parents got divorced which uh, when she was only young, which is quite rare to think mm -hmm. back to the 50s, 60s. And she had quite a strange childhood. Um, looking back, I mean, now things are, you know, mental health terminology is thrown around a lot, but I think her mum was, um, would have been on some sort of spectrum. Her dad was, um, ended up being an extraordinarily wealthy bookmaker, but she had no relationship with him. Quite a strange um, mix. But it makes for um, interesting parenting techniques. But I, I wouldn't change them. It was a tough household, but it was a loving household. So you fell into a state agency in what, 04, 05, roughly? Yeah, approximately, yeah. So did you just kind of see an advert like with the rest of us in the paper? Yeah, I think so. Um, so I mentioned a moment ago, the hospitality field didn't actually, I didn't go straight, I, that, at that point I was thinking a state agency should be good. I went and did an interview, I remember doing that distinctly, um, in Wilsdon, northwest London, uh, and it was on a, um, a business, it was a business park, but it was old school, and it wasn't a state agent on the high street. I mean, maybe they were forward thinking, maybe they were before their time, they weren't paying high street fees, uh, and it just, it, it was too big a jump. Things just didn't feel quite right. I went into retail for a little bit, went back to college, tried that business studies as an access course to go into university because I thought I'm ready for academia now, but <laughs> I wasn't. And then, yeah, I applied for an advert following a, uh, a year's access course for business. And yeah, the rest is history. I, I liked the idea of it. I like the environment that you get from a, a sales business. I like the idea of playing a part in someone's big decision. And I know lots of people talk about I really want to help you move to the next stage of your life, which, yeah, I, I like that, but I also like playing a part myself. You know, that, you, you know, it's an important thing you're helping people achieve. So did you go into sales or lettings? Started in sales, did about six months. It was an absolute horror show. Didn't work out at all. The, it it transpires, that? well, we didn't know at the time, but the sales manager was in the process of setting up their own business, so their head wasn't really in it. So there was, there was next to no specific training, development, coaching. We were sort of left to our own devices, um, which looking back on it is just astonishing. There were a couple of guys that had been there a long time. They knew what they were doing. They were good at what they were doing. So they used to sort of, they sucked everything up. Everything that came in that looked like it would, uh, it would be worthwhile, they were taking it. And the rest of us were feeding off scraps without any help to get better. I ended up getting quite friendly with the lettings team because they were just more laid back. They they had a laugh, they went for a drink on a Friday. They were more of a team, whereas in the sales environment, everyone seemed like they were out for themselves. So I transferred over to Lettings after about six to eight months, and that went okay. Um, stuck at it for a while. Uh, we had a really, really good team at the company I was at in Lettings. Every single person in that team went on to run their own business or manage. So where was it? who was this for and, who, and where was the branch? 
There was Ludlow Thompson. Oh, good, decent London firm. Yeah, they, um, at the time, I think they had 13 branches. We were based in Acton. Um, absolutely massive commercial unit. Anyone who's from West London will know what I'm talking about. Anyone who's not will think, what's he talking about? It was vast and you could only see half of it. Out the back, they had the same amount of space again. And the uh, secret is that we used to work out in that back space after work in the evenings because it was as big as a gym. The three of us would go in there, uh, which is you know, not the worst secret in the world, but pretty strange thing to do where you work. But they, um, Ludlow Thompson were very good when you first came in. So you had an intensive week of training. They got you up to speed on what I would now, with hindsight, would say the basics. Beyond that, at that time, I think training was coming more and more to the front of their agenda. And so there were um, introductions of different roles that would help you and there'd be assessments in different areas. It's just, in my view, for that model to work, the people in the branch need to be completely invested in that. And it wasn't necessarily what I experienced when I first started. But letting, as I say, it was, it was like chalk and cheese. I went over to letting and the team were just absolutely on it. And they knew and they appreciated that for our team to be good, all five of us have to be good. And so you learn from the people sitting around you, they're on your case, you've got to live up to their standards, the quality of work they're putting in. Um, so that went, yeah, went reasonably well. But I decided after a little while that I needed a fresh, I needed a fresh start because sales on the other side of the room hadn't gone well and that was, that was lingering. So you set up your own agency in 2008. You'd only worked for Ludlow Thompson for literally two and a half years. Yeah. So. I mean, it's like anything, isn't it? You, you didn't Seems go so to... great there. It's gone pretty well here, but I still can't help but think it didn't go right over there. And, you know, I need, so anyway, long story short, I didn't try to move. It just, it just happened. I was borrowing a set of keys from a pretty good agent in the area, I popped in, wanted to borrow the keys. I wasn't one of those um, negotiators. And so this might, I, I only ever speak about my little area of the world. I know lots of people want to talk about the whole country and this is what market does and this is how people behave. I don't know, in other areas of the world, estate agents might be the nicest people on the planet to each other. In London, they're not. So I was always of the view that I just get on with people, you know, competition is competition. So I'm borrowing a set of keys from a company called Northfield who were very, very good at the time. And I got on really well with everyone in that room. And 20 minutes later, I got a call saying, will I come in and interview for a job? And uh, yeah, I did. They were, at the time, they were, the, uh, they were number one lettings company okay. in the UK based on awards. And they were also less than five minutes from where I lived, which is a pure fluke. And I thought, this, this fits quite nicely. Uh, if I can get on this well with the team and I'm only one set of keys, I'm yeah. going to have a good time here. So did, was it Richard Palfelman that, that interviewed you then? It was, well, he, uh, he was final stage interview. Richard, yeah. Well, he's just sold his business, just like you did last year. So Yeah, I mean, uh, hopefully Richard will watch this and he'll, he'll know what I mean when I say he's, he's lived in my shadow for a while. You're a naughty man. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I mean, I think maybe we'll talk about that a little bit, but yeah, there's a lot of, um, a lot of growth for LRG in that area of the world right now. A few businesses sold. Uh, but I learned, listen, just to go back to Northfields, my time at Northfields was excellent. Um, they, the culture was so much focused around training, development, growth. And, and I, I like that, it really resonated with me. That's quite rare in the state netting agency, isn't it? You know what? Again, I, I, well, I let me tell you, it is very rare. Yeah, I mean, I think it is because of the amount of people I've interviewed over the years for roles who tell me, yeah, they've had the, the same experience maybe they had at Ludlow or even less, which I find surreal uh, because I think 
if you were to interview a few hundred people that have worked with me at part of Thorgills or Final Fetch over the years, they would say, we train people within an inch of their life. It's relentless. But why, why wouldn't it be? It's, it's beyond me that, that, that you wouldn't. Um, we're selling people's most valuable asset. Don't worry about training for that. Just go crack on, see what you can achieve. Doesn't make any sense to me at all. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I, I just like to be better at stuff. And so culturally, we've built that into everything we do. But Northfields, that's where I learned that, I think. Why do you want to be better? <sighs> Is it egotistical? It's probably a bit of ego. It's a probably a bit of insecurity. Perfection. Are you a of, perfectionist? Uh, perfectionist stroke, fiercely competitive. So I won't get perfection let, in the bit, let perfection get in the way of winning. But I've tried to apply that. So I've played lots of amateur sports, really, you know, I'm just an average performer, but I enjoy sports. And so I apply lots of what works on the sports field to business. And, you know, on the sports field, you're, you're there to win the sport in what we're doing. We're there to win what we're doing. If it's getting property under off a client, if it's yeah. winning instruction that we know we can sell, whatever it might be. Winning at all cost? Uh, no, not all costs. I mean, are we talking about moral issues here? Well, it's a grey area, isn't it? Well, it's but a horrible grey area, yeah. So that really frustrates me about some of the content I see out there that for some reason our industry, and possibly it's the same in other sales industries, but why you can't be an outright top performer that wants to win at all costs but will not cross a line. I don't know why, why that needs to be a thing. Um, but clearly it is because you've asked me that question and I see it all the time. So no, I don't think we need to, we need to, I don't know, what's the right language? We don't need to cheat, we don't need to do the wrong thing, we don't need to reduce our fees, we don't need to undersell, we don't need to overprice, we don't need any of this stuff. We just need to get better and achieve better. That's... We're going to do some separate videos on fees and things like that, standalone topics, which, which will be on my YouTube channel, so do check them out. But um, coming back to your story, you went through senior lettings nag to lettings manager. But by two, two years later, you decided to set up your own agency. How old were you at that point? Uh, 25. You'd been in the agency three years and you wanted to set up your own agency. Well, I guess the short answer is yes. Mm -hmm. um, I'd always, for years, I, I, I thought at some point, um, whether ego driven or sort of maybe looking over your shoulder, you know, I'd say my granddad, mum's dad, very very successful business person we don't really have much of a relationship with him but um maybe the competitiveness i'm not sure but your dad was also self-employed scaffolder he was yeah and I yeah, mean, you did maybe win, you did win you don't win competitions or put pie charts out the number of scaffolds you put out although that's maybe a good marketing no technique. i mean so actually he doesn't talk about it but i know my dad went into business years ago with a partner and then the partner disappeared of everything and then he went back to, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to sensible, comfortable, not be employed because you're not actually employed, but work for somebody else. Um, but yeah, no, I think I knew from a young age that I wanted to set up my own business, probably back then for the wrong reasons. Um, what, what were those reasons at the time? Fast cars, fast women and the rest you'd, you'd waste? Not necessarily. Um, I've always liked being in charge. I'm a good organiser. Are you a sort of person who is very good with macro, big picture stuff, but 
wind I mean, you up with the small stuff? No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm very systems orientated. Okay. We've got a system and a process for everything. Um, but do you like getting involved with the systems? I like building them, delivering them initially, and then stepping back and letting everyone use them. Okay. Um, but bigger picture, I like looking at growth, I like strategy. So I, I, you know, if you would say, do you prefer the tactics or the strategy? I'm not sure if I could answer. Do you like setting the, you like setting the strategy, going in, sorting the tactics and going back to strategy? To an extent, I mean, back then, no, actually, you know what, I can't remember. <laughs> okay. But right now, I think I enjoy a lot of it. I enjoy all of it. Um, there are the niggly things that okay. fall into tactics, that fall into systems that are dull, mm. which, I, I mean, I, I begrudge anyone to tell me that they enjoy doing the very dull stuff. But I like, okay. I like bigger picture. I look looking at growth. I look looking at how we can expand, where we can go, different things we can offer, okay. the innovation, that sort of stuff. Would it be fair to say that on the disc profile you're a classic D? Mm. With a bit of C in you? And a bit of I in you as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, possibly. D-I-C, don't like that, but... Um, C-I-D, we'll do that. <laughs> Not sure if that's any better. Uh, yeah, possibly. Um, I mean, what's your biggest fear? Being taken advantage of by others or rejection of others? Or being criticised? Uh, for for not being perfect it's difficult because i wouldn't necessarily define it as fear okay um what do i dislike the most okay. might be a better way to define it um out I, of those three which ones has okay, greater results three again. uh being uh being taken advantage of by others rejection of others or being criticized by others what do i dislike the most i dislike the idea of someone taking advantage of us Okay, which is more of a D type. Again, I know, do check this out, boys and girls, at disc profiling. It's fantastic. You can get inside someone's head. It's, um, yeah, but then, so, see, the, because the dislike, the others, I think I have complete control over. Yes. So there's less risk, there's less concern. Whereas someone trying to take advantage of me or the business or my family, that's going to infuriate me more than anything else, but still, uh, Reasonably controllable. Do you think that's why you didn't go into business with someone else at Four Kills? Because A of that and B also your your um, your father got his fingers burnt. No, actually, I think it's just um, it's just the way everything played out at the time. So I left Northfields. I did have a patch where I didn't know actually do I want to do I want to go into business on my own? Is it the right time? Northfields um, at Northfields I opened a, or sort of reopened or relaunched one of their letting branches and in a reasonably short period of time we yep. got it uh, to the point where it was almost on parity with some of the other branches and you know, you know I was sort of a blue-eyed boy and that's quite a nice feeling that's good that's great and you know, I've managed to do this so quickly and you know elements of skill elements of luck elements of um, putting the right team together you know okay. applying some basic systems and processes that weren't there previously you know, it's not, we're not curing cancer here. We're listing properties and we're renting them. Um, so when I left Northfields, there was a bit of a gray area. I thought I'll go for it. You know, I, I, I have just done it over here. So did, was it a lettings only agency that you started or lettings and estate agency? So we opened 2008 full service. We're going to do letting. So we're going to, that old classic, we're going to be specialists in lettings, specialists in property management, specialists in sales. Like every agent in the UK, mm. how can you specialise in three things? And so you were local as well and professional. Well, of course. We just missed that we hadn't won the awards yet. That's all we needed. Uh, and then we had the, uh, yeah, we've got the standard uh, estate agent playbook. So we were going to go full service. Um, 
sort of how were those early days i mean well so the housing market just gone well if it hadn't it was just about to go pop so it just went pop three months after we opened wow we squeaky bum time well <laughs> yeah a little bit yeah yeah um so we're three months in when i opened i had two guys with me really good three of us really nice team um when i say nice team i don't mean happy clappy nice to each other i mean the team complemented each other really well everyone was um brought great strengths very good salespeople, and i think you know there's there's a lot of conversation about you know, what is a great salesperson and we're not allowed to be salespeople anymore we have to help people on their journey you know the, the people that help people the most people on their journey are great salespeople. Mm. um so i had two very good guys and we'd had a couple of you know, our, our third month just i couldn't believe how well it had gone uh and we needed an extra pair of hands so we recruited uh, a third member of the team or fourth including myself and uh yeah the, the market went pop and that was bad times because we'd recruited we've got four of us in a room we're paying commercial rent we've got all these other charges and uh yeah what what, what are we going to do had you uh, married at this point got a house yourself no so, i mean I, I i lived in a two-bedroom flat i owned that two-bedroom flat and had done for probably about a year at that time um so i had a mortgage to pay but um that wasn't that wasn't really my major concern. Actually, you know what? I was just young and naive. Looking back, I just decided we're going to work this out, uh, and we did. We we specialised in lettings. What, what was your lowest point in the 0809 crash, and what did you learn from it? So, in truth, whilst we had all these fixed overheads, we had enough in the kitty for me to believe that. This wasn't going to knock us sideways. So I don't remember 0809 actually losing masses of sleep. I was maybe overly confident, uh, which at 25, I, yeah. What, I the naivety of youth, although yeah, that probably possibly. helped you. Well, I think, you know, looking back, setting up a business at that time required us to pivot, oh, what a buzzword, uh, required us to be um, more resilient. So. We were, we were sales, lettings, property management. As it happens, we're three months in. We've only focused on lettings initially anyway. We haven't done any work in the sales area. So, you know what, let's just take the sales off the website, rebrand ourselves as a letting specialist and see where that takes us. And it took us to a great place. Because there was, you know, in 0809, a lot of properties came on the market for rent because people didn't want to sell at a loss or a perceived loss. So you caught the wave and did really well, well in West London. Well, we did. I mean. Looking at my experience, you've already pointed out how little experience I had when I set up, but the vast majority of it was lettings. It was, um, I was a deal maker, I was able to list properties, and I was able to effectively, I think, um, introduce clients to the business and, and maintain those relationships. So I didn't need to be a business owner at that point, I just needed to be someone that was driving the branch. And so that's, that's what we did. We, we focused really heavily on lettings, well, only on lettings, sales was removed, as I said, and that, okay. that, that, that ensured that we didn't skip a beat. So that was 08, 09, 10, 11. I mean, eventually you got to a point where you had four or five branches. We were a five branch business within um, probably eight years. Everybody says that the second or third branch is the, is the most difficult one. Which one was, which, which opening, what number was the worst for you? I mean, it's, everyone's got their own experiences. You know, you, you, this is what will work, this will work in your area. I know from a national perspective, I don't subscribe to any of that. 
everyone has their own experiences and I can't give advice to someone that doesn't work in West London. I can only advise you on what works in West London right now. And even if I tell you what worked 10 years ago, the world has come okay. a long way. So in our experience, our model was we take a very small unit in a new area. That new area, we normally had some coverage from our existing branch footprint. So um, branch number one, we opened branch number two, which was in two years. So it shows you how 2008 wasn't a, a massive issue for us. Within two years, we were operating from two locations, tiny little branches. They only fit four people in them, maybe five people. And I've got, uh, in our head, we thought, we'll take those, then when we've got big enough market share, we'll expand into big units. And we were signing three-year commercial leases. So that sort of worked. Looking back, it meant we were paying for refurbishing two offices within three to four years, which not great, but as a small business, you know, you do what you've got to do. Um, so the first four branches went beautifully, or four locations. We had good crossover. We were doing business in all the locations before we opened in those locations. And then the fifth, or the fifth location, as opposed to the fifth branch, is what, what broke us. And it was really, we, we had very little crossover. We were doing only a tiny amount of business in the area before we opened. And it was really, so we are West London specialists, West London and Middlesex, actually. And the fifth branch was Hammersmith, which is almost central West London. And it's just a different approach. It's a different market. And winning new clients at the time we opened up you know there was I don't I wouldn't say the market contracted nothing quite that extreme but it it was a much diff more difficult fight and that also small things that impact the business when you open a new branch you put good good people in there don't you you pull people from mm -hmm. other teams I was about to say did you parachute in an existing member of staff into the new one or did you get external people yeah well we never recruited um management externally sorry that's an exaggeration in our time we did it twice three times Oof. Uh, when we launched sales which was seven years after opening none of us had the relevant sales experience to launch so we recruited a sales manager a friend of mine i've been friends with for 10 years we used to play football together he worked at a really good well he worked at kfh which is good business in london oh. <clears throat> it was a perfect fit as it happens it was not a perfect fit uh, daniel hopefully will watch this video at some point daniel um, was a fantastic estate agent but he's got to be the most direct people manager I've ever seen in my entire life. And um, it was an interesting journey. He's now in Australia and moved over there with his family. But he's a fantastic estate agent. Bringing it, I wouldn't change any of this, by the way. Bringing him, him in, he launched sales for us. And um, we needed him at the time. And to satisfy my fears of bringing in somebody I didn't know at a management level, he was the perfect fit. Mm. We recruited a... Uh, um, a manager to manage our sort of um, back office function but to be fair that was Fiona she'd already worked for us in a past life and she okay. was brought back in the people that you promoted apart from Daniel were got your culture yes absolutely yeah the um, when we launched this fifth location we put in a very good manager we put in a couple of uh, letting brokers because normally people say it's the people that make the difference by this time it wasn't necessarily the people it was the location yeah, it's a shame. I mean, I, sorry, I've said it a couple of times, I wouldn't change things. Actually, if we hadn't have opened this fifth location, I think what we're talking about now would be so, so different. Do you think you'd still own the business? Yeah, I don't know. Because I know we're going to talk about that in a second. Yeah, it's difficult to say because um, we put some very good people into that, that new location and the existing locations naturally lost some of their best big hitters. And... 
that meant that they, you know, things just weren't operating at full tilt in those existing locations. And the new location was just, it was astonishingly tough. I based myself there, egomaniac statement, like I'm going to make a huge difference, but I put myself there with them and we just, we just couldn't get it consistently doing what we needed to do. Um, and so, yeah, that was in, in terms of, uh, I don't think it was going from four branches to five. I think it was the fifth branch in that location. If we'd have put a fifth branch in another location that was on our shortlist, which we had a lot more crossover in, I think it'd be a very different story. Good lesson to be learned, everyone, boys and girls. So how long did you give it, did you give Hammersmith before you decided we need to make a change? Uh, it's all a bit vague, but roughly we were in 2017, we moved in, gave it a good year, um, more than a year. So our expansion, this expansion strategy we came up with, I came up with, uh, which I say we, I came up with it. I had two senior managers in the business and the three of us would make the vast majority of the very top level decisions together. So I remember being on holiday with my wife and coming back and this before we had kids, when you, holiday was holiday, and talking to them saying, I, I want to launch, um, I want us to be a 10 branch business across West London. We're going to have what we're going to call them something along the lines of neighborhood branches, but we're not going to put our sales forces in these branches. We're going to allow the general public and the community to use the branches they see fit. We'll have some guys in there, but not the sales force. What we're going to do, so you can imagine a map. We've got 10 locations across the map and in three key areas, we're going to have sales sites mm -hmm. and we'll have all the sales force. Uh, so you know, one site will hold the sales force for three locations and so with the other two. And within those locations, you'll have a uh, maybe a sales director, a lettings director. Under them, you'll have three heads because in each site, you've got three branches covered. And all those branches all cover a number of postcodes. So I had this massive expansion. We're going to bring these people in. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And uh, I remember saying to them, "Don't let's, let's avoid the, the major concerns because we know the major concerns. Growth, growing pains are tough. Finding the right commercial units are difficult. Um, expanding our um, market share is going to be challenging. We know the difficulties, but imagine if this goes to plan. Imagine how strong it could be. In this geography, we've got 10 branches and we've got these amazing And were you saying this before Hammersmith or was Hammersmith? This is before Hammersmith. So this, so Hammersmith this is, was this the is first... a couple of years. Hammersmith was the first step. So okay. we've, we're a four-brancher, but our four branches are all in a few miles of each other. We're not coming to whole West London. Okay. We've got a good, we've got a nice tight pack. Hammersmith was the first step into this new, let's okay. get to 10. And um, is that so you could go down the big swinging dick uh, estate agency so you could hold your head up high and when you go to the A master saying there's, there's Ben Matt? I don't know, you know, I, uh, yeah, maybe so, some of it, there's probably, there's an element of ego, there's an element of insecurity. I just want to, I, I, I want to outperform. Um, maybe some people that I've interacted with that I don't like that are growing quicker than me. You know, there's, there's, there's a few things, um, but it's also, it's fun. And I did find it fun. I loved the idea of growing and finding were you new getting, ways. Were you getting bored by having the four branches and just almost it was running itself almost too well? well. It's difficult to say, no, no, I wasn't bored. Um, recruiting and retaining good people was an ever-evolving challenge. I remember saying to my dad repeatedly, property is easy, finding the right people is what's tough. And um, when we're expanding so quickly, we're constantly recruiting. Um, very rarely were we recruiting for someone having left, although people did leave. It's not, you know, it's not to say we you were- You said earlier on that training was important. Do you think that created a lot of stickiness with staff? 
Yes, yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Um, but the it's not specifically the training. It's, it's everything that goes with it, isn't it? It's the interactions, it's the banter, it's the fun, it's the fact that the managing director um, who owns the business is here once a week calling people out, having a laugh, doing silly things that ensure we're, we're absolutely... The, Okay. I mean, I visited, being, but we're the top operators. I visited your branch, ooh, the 17, 18, 20, and there was a good atmosphere in the office. You could tell there was, you know, a bit of banter and a bit of laughter. I, I can remember picking up on that. Yeah, but I, I, listen, so if you're not enjoying what you're doing, and I don't, you know, I hate all the cliches, but if you're not enjoying what you're doing specifically in, in sales, then you're not going to have a good operation. So everyone's got to enjoy what they're doing. And I don't want to make it all naff and cheesy, but the team have got a click. They've got a click with um, line managers, although we didn't use terms like that actually in business. But everyone's got to come in together. Everyone's got to do it for the right reasons. Right reasons is a, is a difficult, because I completely appreciate that people have also got to put dinner on the table. So the right reason for, for, for someone might be pay the mortgage, put dinner on the table. Hasn't always got to be things like, I just want to help people move on with the next stage of life. Doesn't have to be um, cheesy comments like that. but. They've got to believe in doing it the right way, mm. want to do it the right way, and try and do it better. Um, and that's, that's quite a challenging mix to find. And that's why we didn't recruit estate agents. We'll talk about that further in, in some standalone videos. Let's bring it back to the fact that you had this grand plan to go 10 branch network, more spread out over not necessarily your part of um, you know the, the W3, W5 postcodes, but much into the NW postcodes and probably even south of the river, who knows. Um, you opened up Hammersmith, you give it a good 12, 18 months. What was the straw that broke the camel's back where you said, actually, we need to sort this out? So we're in quarter four, 2018. We've recruited and we are now, we're at, we're at maximum occupancy. We've got 60 to 65 team members in a business that's 10 years old. Overheads are, are what they are, but it's starting to come together. It's clicking. Every team is doing what it needs to do. We had, um, across the five locations, we've got lettings in all locations. We've got sales in three locations, and we have a letting satellite team who are working on our next location, building up a bit of a pipeline. And it's, it's clicked. And... You know, it's not pat yourself on the back time, but me and the two senior managers are saying things like, oh, we got it right. About time. We've got no. something right. And but Hammersmith still being a pain in the backside? No, Hammersmith is coming together. So quarter four, Hammersmith came together. We had three months where the invoicing level was where they needed to be. The stock was coming on. The sun was shining. And we're very, very pleased with where we are. I took, for the first time, I took the two guys uh, on a, we call it a management retreat. We went to a spa. I don't like spas. Took them to a spa and we had a whole day planning for the future off-site. Normally we would do it in a, somewhere local, but I thought let's do an overnight, let's do something a bit different. Other businesses said we tried this. We were planning for the future and we were in agreement that whilst that year was quite tough because of all the growth, the last three months have proven that we've, we've, this can work. The next three months were a horror show. It just, it just didn't click. We had some human resources issues. Did anything change, or was it just the winds just the winds went in a different direction? I think the business we were doing in Hammersmith maybe papered over some cracks. By cracks, sorry, that, maybe that's not exactly the right language. What I mean is we pulled in a couple of big deals that maybe distort the data. So you think, you know, we're going to 
you know, if we can do that in a three-month period, we'll do that next quarter and the following quarter. And it just didn't happen. And then two other locations, things just sort of dried up. And by dried up, I don't mean overnight we went from doing lots of business to no business, but the business levels we needed to do, every, you know, I see looking back now as each business, each branch has got to see itself as a sort of standalone business. It's got to pay its way. It's got to contribute profits to the business. It's got to pay for the back office support we use. And two branches, great. Two branches all of a sudden become a bit mediocre. And then Hammersmith just didn't happen. And so all of a sudden in the three month period, we were extremely stretched to the point where if we don't make a drastic decision, we're, gonna, you know, we're looking down the wrong end of the, the barrel of a gun. So um, we had to make a, make, make a tough decision. Can you remember the time, was it at three o'clock in the morning one night where the penny dropped? Um, no, I can't, I can't give you the specific moment. I know uh, on my, so I was, as I said, I was based in Branch 5, based in Hammersmith, and I got my, in my downstairs sort of basement office, and on my big whiteboard, there was a, um, there were some notes and some details, and I'll get too specific, but I remember looking at that and thinking, we're, we're now approaching this, we're gonna need to make a tough decision. Um, so I met with my two senior managers, went for a Chinese and said, we're too slapdash with the cash. Where, you know, some of the incentives we were providing to the team, some of the, um, yeah, I, I was big on incentives and looking after the team. And it, you know, we helped, we had this real tight knit group. And in my view that worked, but maybe we were a bit too flash with some of it. Um, and I said, we need to, we need to pull some, we need to tighten the purse strings in a few areas. This was, this was maybe two months in to, to 2019. So we agreed that we need to pull on here, pull on here, pull on here. And as long as things start to improve, we'll be fine. And a month later, things hadn't improved. We were in the same position. Um, you know, saving the pennies here and there take a bit of a while to make a difference. We needed the invoicing to catch up and the invoicing didn't catch up. And so at the end of quarter one, 2019, we made the decision that we're gonna have to restructure. What did that look like? It looked like reducing our, at the time, so the branch five, uh, sorry, we were a five branch business. One of those branches was a tiny little unit and had been returned and we were gonna move into a, a bigger unit. It looked like not taking that bigger unit anymore. So we had four branches and it looked like turning us from a four branch business into a, a one branch business. Um, one super branch, absolutely jam packed with team members, but covering more or less the same geography um, and reducing our overheads. It was, was extraordinarily that staff? tough. Was that, did you have to lose staff? We did, yeah, and that was horrendous. How did it make you feel? Yeah, awful, yeah. Did everyone get jobs? Of course, yeah. Um, of course they're well trained. Well, I mean... And has I'm, no one's ever made you redundant, have they? No, no. Did they take it well? Um, I don't know, maybe well is, I mean, I, mean, it's I remember not, some I, of the conversations were diff more, more difficult than others. I mean, bear in mind, some of the guys I've got extended relationships with, you know, I, I, you know one of the guys plays on my rugby team. Uh, back then, not now, far too old to be contact sport. Um, so it was more than anything, oh, you, <laughs> sounds awful, but I found it maybe tougher than they did. Uh, I've, I've had to make people redundant myself, and you're, you're absolutely right. What advice would you give to someone 
doing that in hindsight, what you've learned? Um, so, some advice I give to my own team all the time is don't overthink things. I'm not saying underthink them. Give it the appropriate amount of thought and then just get on with it. Um, I, I, in the back of my mind, I genuinely believed that everyone, if I gave them those today, tomorrow they could have a job because we all know a state agent recruitment policy. You've got a state agent experience on your CV, in you come. So, and I was confident that not only would they get jobs, they'd get jobs and they'd be top performers wherever they went and some of them ended up being that. So, it, but it doesn't, doesn't stop how you feel in the moment, does it? You know, nope. you could be the most pragmatic man on the planet. The truth is you're telling someone you care about that they don't have a job here anymore. So um, it was tough, it was challenging, it was unpleasant. I did it all in one day. Everyone I needed to speak to. And then I brought the entire company together at 5 p.m. on the same day to say what you see around you in this room is what's left of the company. Only four people in the business knew that that was happening before that day. And there were two senior managers and my ex-head of um, human resources and compliance. And that was the toughest meeting I've ever done. Telling the entire team, firstly, that my business strategy had failed. Secondly, that it's failed to the point where people that were part of this team yesterday are not part of this team tomorrow. So it was, yeah, it, was a, it was a rough period, but you know, get the violin out. It's, it's not about me. You know, be, you know, the, the business moved forward. Yeah. How did the how did the remaining team take it? Because often they say the issues with them. The team that were, were left, left in the business. Yep. They. Um, I mean, the meeting finished on an extreme high because the team are looking around. I think they're probably thinking, this is going to be amazing. We've gone from um, this business model that involved four or five, six of us in a branch. And that was okay, but we only worked on maybe one section of the properties available in this entire business. And maybe some of them thought that they had more to give if they were given a bigger opportunity. Yeah. And so we, we, I mean, when we restructured, we set the business up as we're going from three sales teams to one sales team, and we're going to cover a larger landmass, but we're going to focus really heavily on where we're the specialists, and that's Brentford. We're going to have two lettings teams. We're going to have our Brentford lettings team. Now, Brentford, you've been to Brentford. It's a small mm. town, 16,000 residential units. Um, but the, the beauty in Brentford from an estate perspective is not a lot of competition. Throughout our market leaders, 75% uh, apartments, 25% houses, and so, from a rental perspective, lots of international investors purchase new builds in the area. So we're talking about management fees, we're talking about great fees, we're talking about lots of opportunities, we're talking about long-term lets. So we're going to have a Brentford team, and we're going to have a satellite team, which in essence work the areas around Brentford. Mm -hmm. And um, I think everyone at that time, the, the sales force certainly thought, it's going to be pretty bloody good. We've got more opportunity here. And we're going to work in an environment where it is going to be full on because I'm going to be based there. The levels, lettings director's there. Mm. The head of sales is there. You've got the most senior people in the room, in the business, all in one room. The intensity, the environment was like nothing I've ever witnessed. And did it work out? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it did. I mean, when, I, when we made this decision and I, I put it forward to the team, and, and I, I mean, I, obviously, the different people that exited the business had the same conversation, very honest, open, transparent. Mm -hmm. It's all on me. My strategy has failed us, and I'm sorry that we found a position we're in. Um, my strategy, my idea around growth is just too much too quick. And you see the other, these large businesses that are expanding rapidly, they've just got deeper pockets. And we've tried to do it in too short a period of time. So there was lots of apologizing for that. 
and uh, I would have liked it for, for it to have gone a different way and not, you know, had to have those difficult conversations, not because it hurt me, just because, it, you know, exactly what it is. Um, but in truth, yeah, the, the other side to the coin is that I spent most of my days in this basement office in Hammersmith. You know, you, you're running a five-branch business, and I, and I was heavily involved in... Okay, so you restructured the business. You got rid of, unfortunately, some staff members, but thankfully they f went and found other jobs. And you brought everyone together in one, one branch in Brentford. I know on the sideline you'd already started a Finding Country operation. Whereabouts was that? Uh, so we took, <coughs> excuse me, Finding Country was 2018. So this is when we're on this growth strategy. And from a sales perspective, we'd always struggled with getting into the more expensive properties. So you decided to go for a Finding Country license? Correct. And uh, that was... And were you running that out of the four or five branches then? Sort of. So we... Uh, I make this really naff joke that where we make... Our timing is, is absolutely awful. We launched a business in 2008, three months later, the market crashes. We launched sales one year later, Brexit strikes. And so we've got our, all our sales overheads and the market starts to slow. We're finding country. And we decided we would take it for the entire geography that we covered across West London, because obviously that makes sense, right? And this is the third person that we... Uh, brought in who was um, as a manager. We recruited someone at a management level in a state agency and it, it just didn't go well. Uh, we brought in someone to set it up for us because anyone who's part of Finding Country will know this, anyone who's been part of it in, in the past. Finding Country is quite a daunting looking business because they offer so much. There's the, 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 um, the proposition is, is quite intense. There's, um, there's different kinds of marketing, there's different kinds of advertising, there's, uh, there's gold packs, there's silver packs, or there used to be, there's um, Refined Magazine, Excuse Homes or Buy Magazine, there's the Collection Magazine, there's a lot to take on board. And back then they had a, a computer system that is updated now and it's much better, but back then, a little bit clunky and not necessarily as intuitive as it could be. So how are we gonna run this? Let's bring someone in who knows what they're doing. Um, because everything we've been told is you go find a country and the business comes to you. Anyway, fast forward, that was a disaster. I didn't, uh, you, know, you know, maybe the, I learned a lesson there. We don't. This was a disaster whilst Hammersmith was being a disaster <laughs> as well. Yeah, finding country is only contributing to the disaster. It's not bringing anything positive to the situation. We've brought somebody in, he hasn't worked out, he doesn't align with our business, our strategy, our thought process at all. We purely recruited him on the fact that he has FNC, finding country, on his CV. And in my entire life, I've never done that. And I'll never do it again, but you live and you learn. So that didn't work out. He exited the business and we said, you know what, our sales guys are really good. We're gonna get them to wear both hats. You guys are gonna work Thorgills and Finding Country. You'll have two business cards, two emails, all that jazz. And of course, day one, everyone's enthusiastic. That sounds wonderful. Wow, Finding Country, these big deals, these big properties, that sounds amazing. The truth is, to get Finding Country off the ground, you're gonna to have to put six to 12 months worth of work into mm -hmm. build any sort of market share and build your business. Don't, don't, what, playing the long game? Whoa, wow. <laughs> well, <laughs> how, how do you convince a salesperson that could work for Thorgills and do business today, tomorrow, at the weekend, to, to, to move away from that and focus their energy on the stuff they're gonna do business on in six to 12 months? We had systems in place to do it, but of course it's, it's impacting our culture because we're saying to someone who could go be really successful right now or at 2 p.m., now I need you to, to focus on something where it might come to fruition in six to 12 months. And so in hindsight, it was just unfair to ask a sales force to do both things. So um, that was all going on around the time when um, we were restructuring. So we get to May 2019, we restructure, we're a one branch Thorgills, and I say to the two team members, 
at four girls who are perfect for finding country, will you two set up finding country as a standalone? They say yes, and absolute roaring success. Right people doing it in the right way, separating the business, so they run independently of each other. Um, but the, the success, two absolutely, the perfect team. Reg, who you may have met, you'll, you'll meet on Friday. Um, charming, charismatic, fantastic salesperson, but also comfortable to interact with what the sort of standard finding country demographic is. Um, he's about the same age as me, and so he's not, I don't know if people watch this might think, it's a bit douchebag saying, but he's not one of the kids who's fresh out. He's got enough experience in the game to have a, a proper conversation, not a get in, get out conversation. You know, finding country, uh, putting the proposition forward as part of a market appraisal is, is the best part of an hour, at least. So you've got to have the relevant experience. We partnered him with Andrew, who Andrew turned 60 last month. Um, he's a um, public school boy, local boy. Um, and I mean this in the nicest possible way. He's the least salesy salesperson you'll ever meet in your life. He's, in my view, and he will find this uh, insulting. I, I don't mean it insulting, I say it all the time. He's not a salesperson. He's just a fantastic communicator. Would it be fair to say, I think people don't like to be sold to, but yet they love to buy, and probably well, people buy from him. You know what, it's not even, um, you're, you're right, people, I mean, I, the exception, I love being sold to, because it's a great recruitment opportunity. But he, um, he's just a very, very caring human being. And so he just wants to help them get the best. And we don't put him in a situation where he's tendering for business necessarily, because, that's really not where his skill set aligns. But he, so his role within the business right now, he's a client relationship manager because he's the master of managing these relationships. He's... That's what we're in. We're in the relationship game, aren't we? We are, absolutely. Um, but I guess most people don't see it. They see it more transactional. Mm. And don't get me wrong, it's not to say that there isn't a transactional element to what we do. But, it is a but the, the clever estate agents, the smart estate agents, the ones that are more successful see it as a relationship-based, not a transactional-based. Well, they do. And, you know, to go one layer deeper, that relationship comes from communication. And I think that's the major issue we have in this industry is that we forgot that we have to communicate with people. Um, if you took a straw poll, how many people on uh, how many people on the market right now have heard from their agent in the last seven days? It's terrifying, absolutely insane that we're not communicating with current clients more regularly, prospective clients more regularly. Um, and so he's he's a fantastic communicator. I mean, he's apart from things like his his charm and his vocabulary, astonishing, and he's travelled the world. And you see this and that, but he can have a conversation with you about absolutely anything. Um, so those two guys set it up, they're a perfect combination, and they got extreme success within nine months. So why did you sell Thor Girls? I know you've gone in and put both feet in with Fine and Country and buggering it up for them to assume to be having a good party. Then the boss comes <laughs> on because he sold his cash cow and what well, needs something to do. Um, well, I think there's, I've got about a million answers to that question, why did I sell? So I've got three young daughters, six, two and five months. I mean, you're 38, about to turn 39. Mm -hmm. You basically went through the quad mile by having multiple branches and they didn't work. You brought it back. Sure, okay, you've got a little pet project in Finding Country. Sorted yourself out, rocking and rolling. You know, I'd understand if you were 59. Uh, so 
Or did someone just come waving a big checkbook and you thought, do you know, this will just... Had you lost the love for Four Girls? It's not necessarily... So, look, there's a load of things. So, first, um, I'm quite intense. Uh, I know I've come across as very calm and collected sitting here on the sofa, but I want to be involved in all of it, and I can't turn that off, and I've come to terms with that, and I won't ever try and turn it off because it's just not who I am. So, at Thor Girls, even though uh, we had a managing director in the new setup and it was running really, really well, and we were very happy with it. Don't tell me you're putting your oar in all the time and... Well, I still do all the training, all the coaching, I do okay. mentor sessions. Okay. Would it be a classic case if you, don't, you, you had a dog but barked yourself? Yeah, I mean, a little bit. I mean, the managing director manages the day-to-day, -day, right? So I'm still involved in the, in the bigger picture. And I still want, I'm still, I'm in the room. We're all in the room. So, you know, there's no hiding from the fact that the business owner and the, manage, and, and, and the managing director are here and the sales force, okay, let's do this, let's do that. And they talk to the managing director and they glance over at me and then, you know, it's a bit of opinion from both sides. Yeah, but then it's your responsibility to go back to the, your MD. As I said, you don't have a dog and bite yourself. You don't, but I would argue, so in that specific setup, um, it was, it worked really well. So Daniel Madden was the managing director at Thorgill's, same surname. Not a uh, not no. relation? No, coincidence, wow. strange. I thought it was your brother. Everyone does. And so we were going to, we decided six months ago, we're going to just start telling everyone we're brothers because firstly it's easy and secondly it's a good story. Bloody is. Um, it's not true though. No, it's not. So we're <laughs> going to do the estate agency thing and just uh, fugazi fugazi. Um, he was the recruit that came in after three months in 2008. So he's been with me the full 13 years. And we're best mates, each other's best mans. Uh, we were best men at each other's weddings. Or, no, sorry, we were both, um, neither of us were best men. We were both ushers. Bit of an exaggeration there. That's, that's... Do you think there might be, uh, it'd be interesting to see if there is a family connection if you went back? Well, here, I've got something even stranger. Our dads work together. No. How spooky is that? And, um, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's pretty strange. Um, so, yeah, I mean, to look at us, uh, people would say, if we say we're brothers, people believe that, absolutely. Both got a little bit extra around the cheeks and, and that glint in the eye, nothing, you know? That's nothing wrong, nothing wrong yeah, with absolutely. that. Absolutely. Um, so, look, back to why that's it I was still heavily involved in running Thorgills and I couldn't turn that off. And so running Thorgills, growing finding country, looking after the kids. And I say looking after the kids, like, you know, I'm not, uh, what I mean is being present and with the kids. Um, Saturdays, I still couldn't help myself. Still, I'd get in there and see what's going on on Saturday, where I know lots, maybe we'd say, well, the weekends is family time. Um, yeah, I just, uh, so that was, you know, the, the being involved, and even though it was set up and working really well, really well. Do you think you might have self, you were beginning to self-sabotage uh, subconsciously, just to make yourself feel wanted and loved? But I, I see um, it, I see it where, especially because you're a D-type, you like to be in control. A lot of people turn their businesses, I've seen it all the time with the state agents, they turn their businesses in where they make themselves redundant, but then all of a sudden they, fit, they fear because they're not part of it. Subconsciously, they kind of put, put the spoke, uh, the, the, the thing in the wheel, just to, so they have to be, be, be um, sorry. Be, 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 be valuable. Yeah, to, to be brought, almost yeah. firefighting and brought yeah. back in. No, I mean, look, if you, if you consider the timing as well, so May 2019, we restructure, tough period, really tough period because we've, we've closed three physical locations, we've brought all the team in, we've, we're learning how to run a business that operated from four locations and, and now is one. And, and I decided that I was going to be the glue in that scenario because 
it's quite easy for the sales force to be, you know, become disillusioned by what's going okay. on. So I sat in the middle of the entire sales force and did um, six months of my best work at creating, recreating our culture. This is what we are. This is how we're going to operate. This is who we are. This is how we're going to do business. And did that work? Yeah, it did, yeah. So you were flying along and then COVID hit. Exactly, yeah. So timeline, 2019, May 2019, we have, well, we've got seven, eight months and we get to the end of the year and I feel like that's, that's probably the, the roughest 12 months I've, I've had in business, certainly. Um, but it's all right. We're over the hill now. We've done it. We have got, look at this unit, how well they're operating together. Oh. This new system, this is the future of a state agency right here. We've got one location covering 10 postcodes. Uh, and it's fun. I mean, genuinely fun. Some days you go to a small business, someone's on annual leave, someone calls in sick, but there's two of you in all day. I need to go on appointments. So you're on the office all day on your own. That is not fun. I don't care who you are. So we've now got an environment with 35 people sitting in it. There's never a spare minute. I mean, don't get me wrong. Actually, trying to get my own work done, you know, that work where you need some focus time, absolutely impossible. But in terms of um, business generation and return, I would say it's second to none, but in my experience. So we get to the start of 2020 and there's, um, you know, some people are catching the flu over on the other side of the world. And I'm saying to people, it's the flu, relax, it's fine. We've just been through this. We're on for a great year, and two months later, mm-hmm. we're not on for a great year. And at that point, so I've had some difficult conversations over the last year, I need to pull the team together and say, you know what we've just been through? We've now got to close the business, but you know because of what we've just been through, we've got no money in the coffers. We're in a really tricky position here. Um, we've just spent the last nine months trying to get things off the books. We don't have enough in the business to be... You know, we're not liquid for more than two to three months at best. Um, and I, I remember it was that was an emotional meeting. The others have been tough. This was an emotional one, not just tough, because right now I've been through 12 months of, I don't want to make it about me, but a very 12, tough 12 month period. And I've got to look all the, these, these 30, 35 people in the eyes and say, I, I don't know what we're going to do. Because my job is, as a business owner, is to protect you guys. I don't know how I'm going to protect you at this point on. Uh, you know, you spend, as a business owner, I think people will, will relate to this, that you, you protect people from themselves, but you also provide protection that I'll always be there for you when you need me. Who was there for you? Um, one of the business owners, so I don't see it in that way. I see, I'm, I'm, I'm there and that's me and it's just for me to deal with. I'm old school in that respect. Okay. And so I'll just, it's not, I'm not saying this is the right way to do it, but I'll just lock that away and just got to deal with it. I don't want to put it on on the table at home because my wife wouldn't react well to it. Would you, would you was your was your wife aware of this business situation? Yeah, so she, I mean, my wife Paulina is um, got maternity right now. She was she ran our accounts, so she knows everything's going on. But I'm desperately trying to keep that this the risk the the problems that are you know we're two to three months away from major major issues. I don't want to be. I just got I just got to fix it, and so that's that's just how I looked at it. So um, that, that was a very emotional meeting. And I said to the guys, I'm, I, at this moment in time, I have to tell you that I, d- I don't have a solution for us, but I will find one. Uh, and I said, if I can't, I asked what, you know, what can be done. And within 20 minutes, I had emails from the team saying, look, we, I, I can live without the money. I don't need to be paid for a couple of months. 
and that was that was intense receiving that that i mean because i'm assuming at this point things like furlough hadn't been hadn't correct been. yeah we so i we've always been very open everyone in everyone in the company knows what's going on it's just yeah we're all in one room so i don't subscribe to let's let's just hide stuff over here and then give it to the team everyone plays their part so I had to hold this meeting before the furlough stuff had been because you know, this conversation happened all the time, and I wanted to tell people where we were and what was you know, where we are up to this point. That was on that was on a Tuesday, and on a Friday we announced furlough. Friday evening, Rishi, we were watching it on the screen, and um, the relief that washed over me—it was like nothing I've ever experienced—and. Um, yeah, so that yeah, everyone's now, it's Friday afternoon, five o'clock, he's just announced this, the, the business subject to T's and C's, the business will, will survive, everyone's, everyone's going to be okay, it's all right, we'll make it happen. Um, if he hadn't have announced that, I honestly don't know. Um, and I, I appreciate other businesses are in the same position, I've spoken to lots and lots of people since. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it was, it, it felt like, uh, hurdle after hurdle after hurdle um, for that sort of maybe 18 month period. Was that the straw that broke the camel's back to decide? Because obviously we were locked down for a period of about 10, 12 weeks and then things came back and the, the market was rocketing. It was really good. Yeah, so look, have you got your violin? Because I'm relentless at the moment with the negativity here. But when we came out of lockdown, as I mentioned earlier, our Brentford, our, our core patch is 75% apartments. No one wants to move into an apartment. No. So we didn't experience this, this boom period that, that others did because we were selling properties that people didn't want to live in anymore. Uh, add to that, uh, the Brentford market was extremely impacted by the cladding scandal. Um, huge swathes of blocks in the area. People just couldn't move, move out of. So we didn't have quite the same experience as others. And also, I would, I mean, I would fight the corner of London and cities that didn't have the same experience as more rural locations across the country. Certainly, much busier. Of course, a lot of people moved out of London, didn't they? Well, they wanted to. Um, it's whether they could find a buyer to take their property in London. Because uh, you've got to find the people to come in first or, or move within. And so, yeah, sort of post-lockdown one, we were very, very um, cautious with how we brought people back. We start, so we've got, so we've got maybe... I think it was 33 or 34 of us, depending on things like maternity leave at the time, when we went on. Uh, when we came back from lockdown one, we launched with, I think, five or six of us, gradually reintroduced people. Um, but we were doing all sorts of stuff during lockdown. We did, um, we did so much charity work in lockdown, which um, we ended up getting known for in the local area. It, from a commercial perspective, it's great because you've got people walking into your premises to, to drop stuff off for, for charity and stuff like that. But we kept ourselves busy, really, is what I'm saying, with, with lockdown. Even though we couldn't do business, we kept four or five people working throughout lockdown because we had a reasonable-sized management portfolio. So we need to make sure the clients are managed and the properties are managed, but we're all working from home to do that. Um, and then when we came back, yeah, we were very, very cautious. and We reintroduced a very small portion of the sales force because we don't know what's going to go. Lettings um, picked up reasonably quickly. Sales, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was okay, but we decided we needed to probably get a little bit creative. And so, uh, as I said, Brentford is a very apartment-driven market. The next town, Long Isleworth, is 
three-bedroom terrace houses. Yeah. So we said, let's, let's branch out. And so we really quickly expanded into Isleworth. We made some changes to roles. In fact, post-lockdown, we made a lot of changes to roles. So we were a traditional model, I think, agency for a lot. We had letting brokers or sales brokers, that's what we call negotiators. Um, we had a support team that looked after pre-tenancy and, and deal management, property management, property marketing, renewals, accounts. Excuse me. Post-lockdown, we split the negotiator role. We had a team of associates and a team of brokers. And the associate would take the inbound leads, would manage the applicants on a day-to-day -day basis on the, on, the, on the phones, over email, and get as many viewings scheduled as possible. And the brokers would be out there completing the viewings. And so it, it split the work rate, but it increased the efficiency of what we were able to achieve, which in turn drove better output. So um, when we came out of lockdown, we, we looked at the first couple of months, but look at what we're managing to achieve with less people. Let's do it like this. And, we, and yeah, I mean, it took a bit of tweaking, but that worked really well, um, second half of 2019. You still haven't answered my question. You came out of lockdown. Okay, you've made some changes. Brentford wasn't brilliant in terms of, of, the, of the market. Why did you sell? Because it sounded like things were going in the right direction. The, the business was moving in the right direction. Um, but as I say, it's, there's, no one, there's, not, there's no one quick answer here. It's lots of little did, things. Did you go looking or did they come to you? Um, in... Early, early in lockdown one, I made inquiries because I'm thinking, yeah, we need to consider all options. So this was Leaders Romans? Yes. Well, this was actually when I, I put the feeders out there, spoke to a couple of brokers, spoke to a couple of agencies directly. Um, one particular broker was, was all over me. Uh, you know, there's, there's definitely, a, there are buyers in the market. And so I played with the idea for, the, you know, for a brief period of time whilst we were in lockdown, so thinking I just don't know what's around the corner. I mean, how many properties did you have under management at this time? Roughly. Under full management, a few hundred. Under rent collection element of management, another couple of hundred. So okay, so a decent size. It's a reasonable size portfolio. Um, yeah, it's interesting that, that area of London is, from what I understand, I mean, I've worked at two other businesses before setting up Thulgas, but management is is not, not a big thing in that area. No, but in London, London's a different market, so you do, you do pay... You, you, you get decent fees for both management and rent collection. So, okay, so you had a decent portfolio. doesn't matter which what model it was because you're that part of London. So when was, the, when was the thing where you said, I've got to restart this and do something different? Well, so Finding Country was, uh, was doing very well. Okay. So there's that in the back of my mind. Well, this is going great. I should have been looking at this. The average fee is seven times higher than what we're doing over here. But not just that. Because that fee is so much higher, we've got so much more time to spend dealing with client one and client two and business generation. And I've actually got time to sit here and innovate. I can look at new ways of doing things. And so we genuinely spend time innovating and working on new ways to service the client base. At Thorgans, I was adamant that we were great service providers. I would say that there's very few in the market that offer the service level that we do until I went and sat in the country and looked at what was, we were capable of achieving. This high volume model at Thorgills just couldn't deliver the same quality of service to the final country. So that became very interesting. You, you were attracted to the final country. You were thinking to yourself, I'm banging, not banging my head against the wall with Thorgills, but kind of 
it was almost you were fighting fires all the time. So you just decided, sod it, I'm going to sell it. Yeah, maybe a bit of that as well. So we've got family, we've got, I want to be involved in Thorgills, but I want to be away. We've got Final Country looks really good. We've got Thorgills, I'm looking and I'm thinking maybe a state agency, you know, where, where we're twice as expensive as our competitors and I see the volume we need to do to still be a really good commercial business. Is the estate agency model broken? Does this make sense, this model? Because Final Country, the model doesn't work. In, what I'm doing over here is so different. This, this looks much more attractive, but um, I also, I, I need to be more present, family, kids. Then, then we've got the uh, agents that I thought I was speaking to, or the agents, I didn't think, the agents I was speaking to about selling a year ago, they're, they're still knocking on the door. And there's no one thing that's made me think, you know what, now's the time. I think it's all that just came together and decided, you know what? The stars aligned. This, makes, this makes sense. We should, just, we should do okay. this. So you sold up. How did the staff take it? <laughs> um, and would you do and would you announce it or do it differently oh you know what i've this is this out of, out of everything i've um i've talked to you about a few difficult meetings that we've had over the years and this is the meeting that i've assessed and assessed and reviewed and could i've done it differently so firstly i've in my entire life i've probably been late for five meetings and this was one of them i got stuck in, a, in an accident and so I arrived 10 minutes after the meeting was meant to start, and my team will confirm that. That's unheard of. So I'm on the back foot a little bit. It's not really, it's not started how I wanted it to. I know I'm about to tell them the biggest news I've ever had to tell them. And I wouldn't describe myself as flustered, but I'm not in the zone that I want to be in. You know, I want to be there 10 minutes before the meeting is due to start. I want everything set up. When I get there, I've got to do a few bits and pieces. So it doesn't start well. I practiced how I was going to tell them a thousand times. And I just got it wrong. I couldn't, I just, the order came out wrong. And that, yeah, must, yeah I put in a bit of pressure and, you know, whatever it was. And when I, so I, I build it up like you'd need to, and I gave them some context around what I'm about to say and, you know, the reason for it and, you know, what's going on here and, and where I see the future of a state agency going and how, you know, for, for Thorgills to continue to be what they are, we need to look at maybe a fresh approach. And then I give them the news that I've, I've decided to put all this together and that now is the, the right time for me to exit. And there's, there's dead silence and I can tell that me using this hermit time for me to exit is not enough. So I said, so I followed up with, I've, I'm, I've sold the business. And it was like I told them I've got cancer. The reaction was, um, well, it was just blank faces. They didn't know, no one knew what to say. And to be fair, looking back, was that the right way to deliver it? I honestly don't know because you want, I want to get I want to get feedback instantly. But how can you do that with a group of thirty people in a meeting? You know, that's, that's not how that works. I mean, these are the people that said literally eighteen months ago that they were prepared to work for you for free. Absolutely. What would you do differently? This that's what I said, yeah, so that's what I just said. I, I honestly don't know the answer to that because in so in a perfect world. I speak to every single one of them independently on the same day. But because there's 30 of them, it's not physically possible for me to do that. That's the perfect scenario. But every, to do it one-on-one, -on -one, it's at least 30 meetings. You, you, so by the t at the end of the day, word has spread and the person coming in at the end of the day already knows. So that wouldn't have worked, but I've pulled this apart and pulled this apart because 
I feel like I dropped the ball in how I delivered it. Okay. I can't find, for the life of me, I can't find or see a better way to have done it. Um, what would your message be to the people in that room? Oh, they got, they got, they got the message. I mean, no. what would your message now be? Um, Does anyone hold it against you still? Do you think? No, not at all. The initial shock lasted up to two weeks. There was so you know it's a little bit like grief. I've got to go through the phases, uh, and we were a tight group. People had told me that, um, that don't worry, people are not. Once you tell them that you know, you think you play a huge part in their lives, and you know, but you don't really. They're there for the job. And I said, I, I don't know because I think we've got a really really tight group, and it's not all about me. But I am talking about the collective and what impact that will have. Um, and yeah, so the first two weeks was absolutely awful. For the first, at that time, I was based with the Finding Country team and, and Daniel was overseeing the Thorgills team. And so I, I thought it was best for the first couple of days just to let them have time to, mm -hmm. to, to, to vent when I'm not in the room. Yep. And so I followed up with a lengthy message. Um... And the truth is, you know, there's, there's, there's denial and there's blame and there's initially. And then by the end of the second week, everyone had, had met some of the, their largely leader Romans group team. They understood that what was going to happen. Um, in my view, so we had a number of um, businesses that wanted to purchase us. And I think I selected the people that are, are most aligned with our cultures and our mm -hmm. ethos. Um, the truth is, the price is the price when you sell a business. You, you know, and so you've got a number of people willing to pay that price. You can be selective about who the right buyers are. And I, I felt I, I picked the right people, and hand on heart, you know, my sister was going to be there as you know, consultant still. She's, she runs renewals or was running renewals at the time. And so I'm, I'm giving that as an example, but I care about everyone in the business just as much as my own sister, which I know sounds weird, but you've got years and years of relationships with them. Um, and so I think the team. Within a couple of weeks, they'd come around to the idea, and I was getting nice messages, really nice messages. Okay. Completely understand what's happened, why it's happened, why you've made that decision. Um, and I'm still getting nice messages now. You know. You're now five months in from, from selling on. Um, how's it going with Find Country? It's, it's great. Um, I love it because there is time in the day, in my view now, with hindsight, mm. I see Thorgill's a bit maybe as the apprenticeship that's now set me up to do to do what I, I believe we're capable of doing with finding country. Good stuff, good stuff. Well, um, boys and girls out there in estate agency land, check Ben out on social media. He really is checking out nearly as many, many videos as I am. <laughs> so well done that one. I wish you well in the future and thank you for your time today. In some separate videos, we're going to do some topics talking about Agents Together, pie charts, finding country, uh, service levels and things like that and fees. So thank you for your time today and uh, check those other ones out on my YouTube channel. Thank you, Ben. Cheers, Chris.